Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Chris Phillips of the Spurs Up show here on Out of Bounds and does all things for South Carolina, talking about the Gamecocks. And Chris, as always, dude, appreciate you joining us. How are you doing this afternoon? What's going on, guys? Doing well. I appreciate you having me, John. You know, it's funny. I, I thought a couple of days ago when you and I last spoke, I thought there was a chance we might be having this conversation, whether it be on record or off record. But uh, obviously coming to fruition this morning with Rocket Sanders landing in Columbia. And like you mentioned, man, there's kind of becoming this, this interesting connection between the two schools with Justin Stepp, Dowell Loggins, Trey Knox last year, and now Rocket Sanders coming over. And as you and I both know, there was even some K.J. Jefferson chatter a week or so ago. So uh, the Fayetteville to Columbia connection is, is certainly one that is becoming valuable for, for South Carolina, undoubtedly. So just talking with Rocket Sanders at this point in time, what's been the reaction of South Carolina fans with the addition of Rocket Sanders? Because didn't have a great year this last year, battled injury, but Arkansas's offense in general was not that great. But just how's the reaction been overall for South Carolina fans and getting the addition of Rocket Sanders? John, I would say the reaction has been pure jubilation. You know, South Carolina was a team last year that, you know, I can take you all the way back to this time last year in the transfer portal, right? They were gutted. I mean, Marshawn Lloyd transferred to Southern Cal, a former running back. Jaheim Bell went to Florida State. Jordan Birch went to Oregon uh, Gilbert Edmond, another edge player, also went to FSU, and they weren't able really to, I think, restock and replenish those losses. And I think you saw that over the 2023 season, right? I think South Carolina and Arkansas were sort of similar in the sense that their offensive lines were their undoings on the offensive side of the football. But let's just face it, John, the Gamecocks did not have SEC-caliber bodies in their backfield. Marvio Anderson was a really nice surprise in the second half of the 2023 season. He was a guy that transferred in from Division II Newberry, and actually ran for over 700 yards. But, I mean, they, they were scrambling over the summer and going into fall camp to find who is their true RB1, RB2, et cetera. And you really just didn't feel like they had a real, true, legitimate SEC uh, starting running back, if you will. With Rocket Sanders, that is not the case. I know you and I talked off air. I've talked with some others as well. You just watch his tape and look at the numbers. And, of course, the Gamecocks went to Fayetteville back in 2022, so we saw it firsthand. I mean, when he's healthy, he's as good as any running back in college football. All SEC guy back in 2022. He's not just a physical runner with with speed. He can catch the football out of the backfield. I I, I think I was told he was actually a wide receiver recruit coming out of high school. So he's got that natural catching ability. So he can do a little bit of everything. So the reaction, John, certainly is is excitement. It is uh, anticipation already for 2024. It's kind of funny how. Picking up one guy like that can kind of pick your fan base up off the mat after a disappointing five and seven season. But you know, certainly what Rocket Sanders can bring to the running back room and the offense as a whole. There's great excitement in Columbia, and I think fans have high expectations and high hopes for for what he can be as the RB one. Getting a player like Rocket, a talented player, is also you know is always going to help your team. Uh, but as far as South Carolina, what are the biggest positions of need for them? Well, I would say running back was certainly one of them, guys. You know, about 12 hours before the Rocket Sanders commitment, they also got Oscar Attaway from North Texas, a guy that is a veteran player, had a really good career for the Mean Green, and, and somebody who I expect to bolster that running back room. Uh, I would say wide receiver, which they've started to address that. You know, added Jaden McGowan, the Vanderbilt transfer today, added a guy, Jared Brown from Coastal Carolina as well, who had had a pretty solid career for the Chanticleers. Um, 
you know, it's funny you asked me that question, what are the biggest positions of need? And, and there are certainly some that are more so than others, but, you know, you guys know this, right? After you go four and eight or five and seven, I don't think you're in a position to turn down any talented football player who wants to come play for your school, right? I mean, you're, it's, it's kind of – your doors are open to anybody who's interested you think can help your football team. Um, you know, I think adding another wide receiver is a priority, guys. I, I think adding a quarterback or two. Now, I'm not sure it's going to be K.J. Jefferson, a guy of that caliber, but a- adding a couple quarterbacks for depth – I think they feel really good about the Morris Sellers as their starter next year, but he is a redshirt freshman. He played in just two or three games this year, did not play a lot. They're going to be handing the keys over to the youngster. And, and outside of that, the only guy in that room to push him is a true freshman that's going to be inserting himself and a quarterback that has transitioned to wide receiver. So I think you want to add, you know, A.J. Swan was on campus yesterday visiting. I think that'd be a good one of veteran presence that can push him. Uh, you know, can provide competition in the room because we all know, guys, iron sharpens iron. I-, I think adding another tight end could be beneficial. I think they want to do that. And the defensive side, guys, they've got to shore up the defensive front, specifically the edge position. That was a position of weakness for them. Uh, really anything in the front seven, defensive line, I, I think they would-, they would take a quality body. Of course, they had Elsie Overton, the Texas A&M transfer on campus, a guy I believe was a former five-star prospect. So, I would say, guys, right now the top priorities on defense, you look at edge, and offensively, I think adding another wide receiver and then the offensive line as well. I I know they feel really good about the way they're recruiting, but guys in this win-now world, can you bank on true freshmen to come in and start on the offensive line in the SEC? Probably not. I think adding two or three quality power five bodies up front on the offensive side is a priority as well. So, Chris, uh, just looking at another connection, you mentioned Dow Loggins, and you know, we talked about it a lot last year when he made the move from Arkansas to South Carolina and how it would play out. Just now that you've seen a year and with Spencer Rattler and everything, how do you grade the job that Dowell Loggins did in his first year as the offensive coordinator over there at South Carolina? That's a good question, John. I'd probably give Dowell a grade, probably C plus, B minus, if you will. I mean, I think you really, you know, my, my, my prediction, John, before the season, because, of course, you and I, we, we love to make picks and predictions and give our thoughts on things. But, you know, with the summer, I, I said that I thought the offense would be better. I mean, here's the thing. Dowell Loggins is 110% an upgrade from what Marcus Satterfield was at South Carolina. I'm sure Nebraska fans love to hear that because he's currently their O.C., but Loggins was absolutely an upgrade, right? I think we saw that in Spencer Rattler and his play and the improvement. And, you know, it looked like the game slowed down for him. He made much better decisions. And I think we really saw the best version of Spencer Rattler for most of the 2023 season. I said all summer, John, that I really thought what fans would come to realize as the season progressed is that, you know, no OC can scheme around a bad offensive line. And that's just what South Carolina had, right? So it was really tough to judge Dabble Loggins and to hold him accountable for all of the struggles the offense had because my biggest fear was when they played a defense where there was a mismatch in the trenches, which was often, and they were forced to be one-dimensional, they were going to struggle. And guess what, John? They did. They struggled when they were one-dimensional. But I thought you saw Dabble Loggins really open things up. I mean, obviously what Xavier Leggett turned into at the wide receiver position and what he did with Spencer Rattler specifically, I think is what jumps out. But admittedly, guys, I, I would say that Dabble Loggins, yes, he's an improvement for Marcus Satterfield. Is he the long-term answer? Is he, a, is he an elite offensive coordinator at the collegiate level? I think that's yet to be determined. I think the jury is still somewhat out on Dabble. And I think, guys, his tenure is really going to be judged off of what does he do with Honoris Sellers, 
more than likely the starting quarterback next year. This guy was a prized four-star recruit, got in a couple of times, like I mentioned, this past season, had a really nice uh, passing touchdown against Furman, had a really nice rushing rushing touchdown against Vanderbilt, where you at least just saw the potential, right? He's got the size. He's, got the build. he's kind of built like a K.J. Jefferson, right? Can throw the football, can run the football. I think what Dabble does with him, that's how fans will judge him, but I would probably say, again, I would say a C-plus, B-minus grade where there were some positives, but I'm not ready to sit here and say that, you know, he's the long-term answer in Columbia or, you know, he's an elite SEC coordinator, if you will. Sometimes uh, you see units get better, you see teams get better as the season goes on, and units specifically a lot of times with the offensive line, maybe they'll change the philosophy where they were dropping back, passing quite a bit, and then they wanted to focus on run the ball and it made the offensive line improve. Did you see any kind of flashes from that offensive line? And and where, where do they currently stand as far as returning players? Yeah, I would say certainly from the young guys, you, you saw flashes. Guys like Big Tree Babalade out of the tackle spot, Trovon Bow, who was a true freshman, both those guys were, guys were that I mentioned. Jatavia Shivers as well, he was a true freshman. Because, guys, what they did last year is they went out in the transfer portal and you know, it really started back in the spring game, guys. The tone was set back when Jalen Nichols, your starting left tackle, was injured in the spring game. And it just seemed like that set off this chain reaction of injury here, injury there. I mean, guys, at one point they had 10 offensive linemen out with injury. And I hate to use the injury excuse because every team gets banged up, every team has injury. But it's something that you have to mention because there's not many teams in college football that could withstand that. And, uh, and overcome that on the offensive front, if you will. So I think some of those young guys they're really excited about, you know, they basically bring back everybody, guys. I know Nick Gargiulo, who was a Yale transfer, uh, who was solid for them this year. I'd say not great, but solid. He's applying, I think, for a seventh year of eligibility. I think outside of that, though, they bring basically everyone back. So you can look at that one of two ways, guys, right? I mean, experience is one of those. Uh, most overrated things in college football to a degree where it's like you bring back the same group of guys and you're like, okay, uh, you have more experience. They should be better. They should take a step forward. At the same time, you can say to yourself, well, this is the same group that played like they did the year prior. So, you know, I think they're expecting a lot of those young guys to take a step forward. I think they're expecting some of those transfers they got last year that this was their first year of SEC ball to take a step forward. And, guys, here's the good news for South Carolina. I don't think their offensive line can be worse. I, I really don't. I don't say that to be funny or make a joke. I really just don't know that they can be much worse. Uh, they've also got a great recruiting class coming in, Josiah Thompson, Cam Pringle, two guys that if they're not both five stars, they should be on the offensive line. Uh, so, I mean, they feel really, really good about what they're building up front. It's just how much youth do they have to mix in with some of that returning experience. So, guys, I, I would say this: it looks up for the offensive line to improve next year. How they put those pieces together, we shall see. But certainly they're going to be leaning on some young talent to make those quick improvements from 2023 to 2024. Speaking with Chris Phillips of Spurs Up Show here on Out of Bounds. Now, Chris, I was interested. We were talking about with South Carolina. There was kind of some correlation there with both Arkansas and South Carolina not really living up to the expectation that everybody had. I mean, South Carolina's picked to finish third in the SEC East preseason. And finishing five and seven, missing out on a bowl game. Here at Arkansas, people wanted Pittman fired. They were very mad, upset. And then they hire Petrino, and then everything just turns on its head and everyone's excited again. How did fans in South Carolina feel about Shane Beamer, about the job he's done and uh, heading into this offseason? Are they being excited enough because of the recruiting and because of the things that they're adding, like you mentioned? 
or were there a lot of people very upset and frustrated and wanted change? Yeah, John, I'll take you back actually to the end of year two, right after those wins over Tennessee and Clemson and last offseason. I, I would have told you, John, that Shane Beamer was untouchable, right? He was a guy that uh, the fan base absolutely adored. You couldn't even say one slightly critical thing without fans jumping down your throat, flooding your mentions on social media, if you will. But this season, John, was a great reminder that no coach is immune to the effects of losing. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the goodwill you've, you've built. It doesn't matter the culture you've instilled. If you start losing games, and you start losing games at a high clip, and you start losing games in ugly fashion, again, you guys saw this in Fayetteville, they'll turn on you, and they'll turn on you in a heartbeat. And again, no coach is immune to what can happen when the losses start to pile up. And, guys, it was after the Tennessee game this year, because as you mentioned, the expectations were sky high, right? I, I didn't see a lot of Gamecock fans, uh, the Fanatics for sure, picking less than eight wins. Most people thought matching last year's win total getting to 9-3, and three, maybe scratching double digits. That was the goal, right, for South Carolina. Heck, I was labeled by some as negative for picking a 7-5 and five season, and I did that because I was concerned about the issues in the trenches, what was it going to look like up front, which we obviously saw how it played out. Um, after the Tennessee game, guys, I, I was stunned. I, I could not believe after that game. That's when some of the chatter, I thought, really started the fan base of, hey, is Shane Beamer the guy? What direction is the program going? Then the loss to Florida happened at Williams-Brice Stadium where you blew a 10-point lead in the last five minutes or so. Then the chatter increased. Then you lost four in a row. Then the chatter increased. And so uh, there was certainly an, you know, a feeling, an unsettled feeling in the Gamecocks fan base, and I think there still is. But, guys, I, I think this fan base still is, is so behind Shane Beamer. They believe in Shane Beamer because Beamer obviously has this infectious personality that I think the fan base really resonates with, right? You hear it in press conferences, and obviously he's a really emotional guy that, you know, you can tell it resonates with fans. It resonates with the diehard fans for sure. So, guys, I think there's pressure. I mean, I've said it many times. I think his seat's warm going into 2024. I think he's going to get till 2025 at minimum. Uh, because hiring a guy like Shane Beamer, you knew it was a roll of the dice. He's never been a head coach before. I think he's going to get a little bit of a longer leash than maybe at some other programs you would. But, again, I say that while also recognizing no coach is immune to the effects of losing. And as much as South Carolina fans may like a coach or relate to a coach, they don't like to lose. And so if those losses continue to pile up, I think you're going to hear that chatter grow louder and louder and louder and questioning the future of the program. So I would say, John, to answer your question shorthand, the fan base is still fully behind Shane Beamer, but I think there's more questions and there's more skepticism and there's more of a show-me mode than we've ever seen during his tenure in Columbia. Who are some of the other players you feel good about the addition through the transfer portal? Yeah, so I mentioned the Coastal Carolina wide receiver, Jared Brown. I think that's a good one. You go back and look at his numbers, sort of a speedster guy. I think he can fill in and play a role in the slot for South Carolina. I know we've already obviously touched on Rocket Sanders, so I'll skip over him. Uh, Oscar Attaway, the running back from North Texas, I mentioned him, but he is somebody I think that brings a veteran presence to that running back room and I think can provide a really nice one-two punch for South Carolina if he is indeed the number two running back, if you will. They've got a youngster that played this year, true freshman, that people are high on in Dontavious Braswell, and they're adding a kid, Matthew Fuller, in recruiting a four-star. So, But I think what he does for depth positive for them. Um, Jaden McGowan, you know, coming over from Vanderbilt, I think that's a big one. Um, 
you know, a guy that did not have a touchdown this year, guys, but if you go back and look at his numbers and, you know, over two seasons at Vanderbilt, 80 catches, he's averaged over 10 yards per catch at Vandy, so he is a big play threat down the field and maybe with a little bit of a better situation, better team, if you will, no slight to Commodores, but a better situation. Maybe you see those numbers increase, so I, I think he's a positive addition, but you know, guys, back to what we started the conversation with. The needle mover is Rocket Sanders, right? I mean, that that's the big one to this point. I think there's still some other big fish out there. But when you land a guy that's got SEC experience, you know, high-level experience in the SEC, like this ain't a guy that's just played. This is a certified dude that's been an all-SEC caliber player. Uh, and when he's healthy, again, guys, he's one of the best running backs in the SEC, if not all of college football. So uh, those were a couple guys. And I'll say this, too. We spent time talking about the pickup portal. But, guys, I know you'd agree, some of your greatest recruiting wins are getting guys back on campus because we all know and accept it at this point in college football. You're basically just signing one-year agreements, right? When you got your collectives announcing that this player is back and that player's back, you it, it really does feel like the, the free agency market in college football. But, uh, you know, they got some key defenders back, key guys on the defensive side of the football. They got Josh Simon back at tight end. Um you know, so, so they brought back some really key pieces for sure. But, I mean, I, I think Rocket Sanders is to this point the needle mover, and uh, they still got some big pieces out there they're trying to land. Before I let you get out of here, we just got about a minute, Chris. Uh, SEC schedule gets revealed tonight. Uh, we know who everybody's playing, but what do you make of South Carolina's SEC schedule, and uh, how do you think it plays out tonight for the Gamecocks? Yeah, John, I'm really excited, first off, to take it all in and, and view the schedules. And I know we've already got a couple of weeks out there. Uh, from the South Carolina perspective, it, it's really weird, obviously, not having Georgia, Florida, or Tennessee on the schedule. That's the first time, guys, that's happened since 1991. And I know we're going away from east and west, but South Carolina's 2024 schedule, it feels like an SEC West schedule, right? There's no Arkansas, but you get Texas A&M, you get LSU, you get Ole Miss. I mean, it, it's it's a gauntlet, guys. you got to go to Alabama to Oklahoma. So, I mean, <laughs> Lenora Sellers, first-year starter in the SEC, he is going to have his work cut out for him, to say the least. And, nah, again, guys, really excited to take it all in and check out the 24 schedule and pumped about what it means that Oklahoma and Texas are in the league as well. we got some great matchups setting up in 2024. Well, Chris, man, really appreciate you joining us. Great stuff. You can follow all of his stuff over at Spurs Up Show. Does a great job on the digital platform as well as on the website as well. So, Chris, as always, man, appreciate you joining us. Enjoy portal season, man, and we'll catch up with you later down the road. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Happy holidays to you and yours, and we'll chat again soon.